This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, thanks for listening today. We are in the latter portion of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. So we're going to look down at verses 22 and 28 to get started here, where the writer says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaking, uh, shaken, let us show gratitude. Uh, the, the writer wants to make one final contrast between the covenants, uh, the, between the law of Moses, the old covenant, and that of Christ and, and the new covenant. And he takes us back to this scene of Mount Zion. When God came to Mount Zion or Mount Sinai and delivered the law to Moses, the Hebrews were terrified. And they saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, Exodus 20 and 19 says, and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And they were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off. If you look at Exodus 20, you can get a lot more details about what they would have seen and heard and also what was going on in their hearts and how those things just made them tremble with fear. And again, the Holy Spirit draws our attention to this event to make this contrast between that covenant that was established there that day and the new covenant that's established in Christ. And so in verses 18 and 20, if you look in Hebrews chapter 12, he speaks about darkness and gloom and whirlwinds that surrounded the mountaintop and there was blazing fire. And he reminds us of the penalty of death that God made um, a promise to his people if they even touched the mountain, right? They couldn't even get they couldn't even get close. And so the stakes were incredibly high. And God was reminding his people there that he was holy and that he wasn't going to tolerate carelessness among them. And it made an impression. It was intended to make an impression. And it did. The people were just scared. And in fact, they were so scared, they were unwilling to hear directly from God. And so they're calling on a mediator, specifically Moses. Right? They tell Moses, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially their message to Moses is, you, you go up to the mountain and you talk with God. We don't want to hear this terrible sound uh, anymore. And Moses himself was scared. Uh, and, you know, Hebrews 12, 21, the writer says, Moses said, I tremble with fear. So this this event itself pointed forward, the writer is saying, to a time when God would institute a new and better covenant. Well, how could that how could that be? How could this be a precursor? All these crazy things that are happening and doom and gloom and, and penalty of death for touching that. How could this possibly be pointing forward to a time of a new and better covenant that would be have an entirely different character. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. If we fast forward to Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses has more to say about what happened on that day, specifically at the mountain when all of those things were quaking. There was the earthquake and all the things we've discussed so far and the people's reaction uh, and what God said about his intentions. If you read verses 15 through 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 18, in that context, you get a better understanding of how this is a, a pointing forward, that this was a sign of things to come. Because in those verses, Moses reveals that when God heard the people say, we don't want to hear the voice of the Lord our God again. It's 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 too much. We don't want to see this great fire anymore. We're going to die, verse 16. He responded with, God said this, that they have spoken well, in verse 17. They have spoken well. We might think, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. God is delivering his law. He's revealing himself to his people. 
He's establishing this new covenant, albeit in a terrifying way. And again, that was to make an impression. He's clearly setting forth his expectations and the blessings that are to come. Yet the people say, I don't want to, I'm too scared. I don't want to hear it anymore. And then God's response is, that's a good thing. They've spoken well. Well, yes. Why? Now, remember, think about our original question, how this was pointing forward to a new and better covenant. Look at the very next thing God says in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 18. He says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, that prophecy, all those many years ago, is specifically applied to Jesus in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 22, Moses, God was speaking through Moses and telling his people and all of us that he was going to come. He was going to raise up this prophet. And this prophet, like Moses, remember he says, like you, it's going to be from among the Jews, from among your countrymen. He's going to be a lawgiver. I'm going to put my words in his mouth. And he's going to tell the people what they need to do. And it's going to be in that day, if you finish the sentence, the rest of the verse, and in Acts 3.22, as Peter is applying this prophecy to Christ, that those who don't hear this individual, God is going to cut off from among his people. Now, all of that to say, God recognized the fear and trembling of his people, and he revealed he already had a plan in motion to communicate to them in a way which wouldn't terrify them. He would become one of them. He would become a man, and he would teach his people himself as a man. And he would institute this new covenant that wouldn't be just restricted for Jews only, but all people who would be descendants of Abraham by their faith. Galatians 3, 27 through 29, not because of a genetic link they have to Abraham, but because they shared his faith in God. And so the writer sums up the, the contrast that he's made throughout the book in Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And so he's summing it all up. He's saying, Christians, remember, you're partakers of a covenant that is far greater, with far superior blessings, with much greater privileges, and don't take it for granted. Even though the law was given through angels, now Christians stand where? with myriads of angels to the he in the heavenly Jerusalem. And he's speaking in the prophetic perfect. He's speaking as, as if you remember this covenant, these things are true and guaranteed if you remain in this new covenant. You're citizens of this living new Jerusalem assembled before Almighty God. Now, you know, you might be just sitting in your car listening to this or in your you know at your desk like I am right now thinking well I'm not in the presence of anything but you know I'm just here by myself listening but the writer is saying here's the spiritual reality of your identity in Christ and you have everything to look forward to and God will be true to his promise the Christian's mediator is not Moses before God we have an advocate with the father who is the son of God himself 
Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And notice something else he says here. He says Christians are called the church of the firstborn. The general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all. Now, some have understood that to be a reference to Jesus as the firstborn and his people are his church. And that wording is used of Jesus in the New Testament. He's called the firstborn of creation. In Hebrews chapter 1, he's referred to as the firstborn. And that speaks to preeminence, not chronology. Jesus is not a created being as our Watchtower friends would like us to believe, certainly among others. No, he's eternal with God, and that's the point that the Hebrew writer makes in chapter 1. But when he says firstborn here, right, so Jesus is firstborn. That point is biblical, but that's not what the writer is saying here. He, notice he says the church of the firstborn uh, are enrolled in heaven. And also he's using firstborn in the plural sense. That doesn't come through in our language, but that's what he's saying there. He's using firstborn in the plural sense. So he's talking about many people, many firstborn. Who? The church. Members of Jesus' body, his firstborn, who enjoy a privileged position with him and have every spiritual blessing. Again, all made possible by the mediator of a new and better covenant, by the blood of Jesus, the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. Now, in light of all that, he gives this admonition, one of the last ones he's going to give in verse 25. He says, See to it then that you don't refuse him who is speaking. All right, so that harkens back to that event at Mount Sinai, doesn't it? People said, I don't, I don't want to hear it anymore. And many of them would be faithful under the, the Old Covenant. Uh, but to a large degree, as the Hebrew writer mentions in, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse uh the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, that most of, many of those people didn't want to hear, even after seeing all the miracles and how God miraculously delivered them from bondage. He's reminding us, don't refuse him who is speaking. Right, And that attaches to the very, the very first thing that the Hebrew writer says at the beginning of this letter. God, in former times, he spoke to us through the Father's in many different ways, through prophets and so on and so forth. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his dear son. And he's saying, don't refuse him. If we deny his gospel and ignore the call that he has put before all of us, Acts 17.30, to repent and to come to him, then we refuse him. We are refusing the one who is speaking. The very same God who spoke and shook the earth at Mount Sinai, that's who we're refusing. And the Holy Spirit tells us another time of shaking is coming. Remember that passage in verse 28 that we read at the beginning of our study where the writer speaks of a kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, which cannot be shaken. And therefore, we need to show gratitude. And he goes on to mean what he, he goes on to explain what he means by Shaking, when God will speak in judgment, he says this expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, verse 27, as of created things, so those things which cannot be shaken may remain. You see, the rule of Christ, he's saying, the kingdom of Christ is eternal. So live under that rule. Submit to him as king. 
because he will never be shaken and his people will never be shaken, which is to say destroyed. So there is hope here in these verses about, even though these verses are about destruction and the removal of creation, there's still hope here. He's reminding us that there is something that will not be destroyed when everything else is. The kingdom of Christ. And so let's hear him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And let us show gratitude, as he says here in verse 28, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. A new and better covenant with new and better promises and everything to look forward to. Yet God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still a consuming fire. He gave everything to be reconciled to us. The life of His Son, which He foretold in Deuteronomy 18, even when people were terrified of Him, He said, I'm, I'm going to raise up a prophet, meaning I'm going to come to you as a man and reveal how to be reconciled. And if we are to be saved from the destruction that is to come, then we need to be members of His body. We need to submit to Jesus as King, accept His sacrifice, God has no more tolerance for sin or disobedience or irreverence than he did in ancient times. He's still a consuming fire and he always will be. But he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, 2 Peter 3.9. But he's waiting patiently for all to come to repentance. So have you. And do you strive to deny yourself daily and take up your cross and follow Christ? Thanks for tuning in. This has been Faithful Sayings.